Good morning, Waterstone. It's exciting. They let me out of my little room up there, and I get to be down with the big people. <laughs> I don't mean that in it, you know, in the, the mature people. And, um, and I'm so excited to be here. I have my own story about songs on the road, you know, road trips. Um, when I grew up, my dad is, was in the Navy, and so every summer we had to take a road trip either to San Diego or <laughs> to Rhode Island. And, and one, one year we uh, went to Texas, uh, Corpus Christi. So the, the year we went to Corpus Christi, and that's a long ride, the, really close before we left, the, our car broke down, and so we had to get a brand new station wagon. We have five kids, so um, brand new station wagon. We literally picked it up off the lot, piled our stuff in there at home, and took off. And this was an Oldsmobile. This will tell you the time frame we're talking. It had brand new technology in it, an eight-track player. Whew. Yeah. So anyway, um, it came with this eight-track tape. It had Oldsmobile on it, and, and it had this collection of music on it. Now, that was the only eight-track tapes were pretty new. And um, so that was the only tape we had in the car. And we played it all the way to Texas and all the way back. So those songs are like ingrained in our minds as children. And so there was this collection, and there was a couple classical pieces. There was Andy Williams, there was Perry Como, and, and there was this so random, this group called Bread. I don't know if you remember this song. I can't live if living is without you. I can't give, I can't give. Anyway, my dad was not a fan of modern music, so he would just mock that song like, I can't live. Anyway, so those songs, and I've talked to my siblings, they are literally, every time we hear one of those songs, it's like, whoosh, we're right back on the road to Texas. It left a mark for us. Um, but anyway, songs for the road, they, they leave a mark. I have to um, tell you a little bit about the context of my, my being up here and what my last couple of weeks have, have looked like. So you understand if I act a little, um, a, a little schizophrenic, why uh, we had VBS, which was here and was just amazing. And I got to be in the story room and, and help kids just hear these stories about this adventure of a life with God. And then I went straight from there up to Camp Idrahaji for this past week, I've been, how many of you know Camp Idrahaji? Look at these hands around you, and those who don't know it are going, the Waija Wacha, huh? Um, this is a camp in Bailey, and it's um, Idrahaji, which is the first two letters of I'd rather have Jesus. Get it? Idrahaji. I still have a friend that goes, are you at Idrahaji? No idea what that means, but um, so I was up at Camp Idrahaji teaching seven to nine-year-olds in this little chapel, 97 to nine-year-olds, and trying to, to teach them um, about God. <laughs> well, our, our theme for the week was be strong and courageous, uh, Josh, from Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. And I got to teach these amazing stories, right, of Moses leading the people through the Red Sea, of, of Joshua you know, leading the people across the Jordan River. And there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we had Gideon, and all the great stories, these stories of our faith. Stories that have been told for centuries and centuries 
about the, the power of God, his acts of mercy, his acts of salvation for the sake of his people. We learn about who God is in the midst of these stories, and we learn about who we are in the midst of these stories. And over and over in Scripture, we see these commands. Do not be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because we're afraid. <laughs> and we're very likely to not be very courageous about it. So we get commanded that. Don't be afraid. And we learn how to trust in God. Well, this psalm... Uh, is a part of this collection, Psalms for the, for the Road, uh, Songs of Ascent. And we see this theme throughout these psalms. It's hard, Lord. We need you. You have shown yourself strong, so do it again. God, do it again. We need you. And Psalm 123 is, is very similar. You know, um, these songs of, of ascent, they moved the pilgrims along geographically as they went, exiles, went and, and went up to the presence of God in the temple, Jerusalem. But these songs move us along, spiritually speaking. They move us out of this godless thinking. They, they move us to remember they move us to greater faith. Uh, there's this uh, tradition in the Christian church. It's probably been around a long time, and I have participated in it enthusiastically for a long time. And you guys probably know it. In fact, I think I have a feeling you could maybe do it. The original way. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Right? And it's true. God is good all the time. But I'll tell you what, I work with kids. And for 17 years, I, I taught a Bible study uh, for teenagers. And quite honestly, that doesn't always seem very true. And so there's this criticism, and I've heard it, of Christians, right? Christians, meaning people who follow after God, people who, who believe in a God that intervenes in the affairs of men, a God who cares and, and can save, and people who follow after the teachings of Scripture and try very hard with, with all that they can and with the help of God to love Him and to love others as we are commanded. Christians. And I've heard the criticism, totally unrealistic. Pie in the sky thinking. Hey, you would not, I've had, I literally had someone say to me, you would not be so happy if you understood the reality of the situation. All right, I get it. It doesn't appear that we're very realistic. So, in the bridge and up at camp, um, we have a slightly different variation of that that we do. Uh, hey, are there any bridge kids in the house or alumni? We have a few. We have some, some leaders. Okay, so we have a few voices that are going to call back to me the way we do this. Okay, you ready, Charlotte, Mr. Wolf? Yep. God is good. Life is hard. Life is hard. And God is good. Both things are true. We're not saying God is good all the time and he makes it easy. We're saying God is good in the midst of it being hard. So we're going to try that one on. You guys are going to get to try this new thing, okay? So God 
is good. Life is hard. Life is hard. Amen. Because that is how it feels to us. Right? We have this, this cry to God. It's hard. And Psalm 123 is very similar to Psalm 121 and what Nick taught on that a few weeks ago and Psalm 125. Danielle talked about that. It's a psalm about focus, about lifting our eyes up away from the best. Hey, as Christians, we get it. This book, it tells it like it is. The good the bad and the yeah i mean it it says it like it is and in fact we call it we call it and it actually explains everything we're broken the world is broken and god intervenes and comes to rescue so so we get this and so we it's this is a psalm about our focus about turning our eyes to this heaven-dwelling God, to this God enthroned above, our source of help. Not a, not a God above, like distant, detached, but a God who is above it all and therefore unlimited in his power to act. That's the one that we keep our focus on. It's a psalm about focus. And it's not just our eyes, but it's, it's our hearts. We, we focus the eyes of our hearts on him. I um, have been in the church a long time, and about 20 years ago, there was a, when I was two years old, there was this really popular song, what you're laughing at. Um, there is this really popular song, and I still sing it. I still teach it to, to um, kids, both up at camp and in the bridge. I teach it with sign language because it says what this psalm is about. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we cry, holy, holy, holy. And in this case, as we cry, mercy, 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 open the eyes of my heart. This is a psalm about focus to lift up our eyes because he's the one who is able. This isn't like a, oh God, if only you could. It's, oh God, only you can help us. Only the Lord. He's the one that can help us so our eyes go up to him. It's an issue of keeping our eyes up with faith, with expectation, with hope. I'll tell you what, it doesn't take a lot of strength and courage and quite honestly, not a lot of, in, of intellect to be cynical about the world, right? There's a lot of material out there you could look at. But it takes a whole lot of strength of character to maintain hope in the midst of the mess that we see around us. And we are a people of hope because we keep our eyes on him and not here. It, it's a focus. It's, it's not looking at ourself, at our, at our own strength or lack thereof, our, our own position, but it's looking up to a God who can make a difference. But our, our culture, we have a problem with, Volca, with focus. 
and, and maybe you've seen this. Um, I, I read a quote from Timothy Keller. He said, we live in an ADD society, attention deficit disorder society. One thing after another comes into sight and then it's gone, right? I mean, technology has brought into our focus just so much um, information and, and, it, and, it, and, and, and entertainment at such a rapid pace, man, it's hard not to get sucked in. We got our eyes right here on the screen. If not right in front of us, then in our home, and if not there, then on the big screen. Right? There's so much social media, video games, and then, and then there's, there's world events and local events, usually tragic, and, and then there's, there's you know, the Hollywood royalty, America's royalty is Hollywood, and, and, and then there's addictive TV series, reality TV, dare I say Game of Thrones. I am one of the few people who have never, ever seen a single episode, but I have my own TV addictions, the little TV series addictions. Yeah, we are addicted to our screens. I mean, it's hard to get our focus up, up, up here and on our own families and our friends right in front of us, much less a God who is unseen. We have a problem with focus. So thousands of years later, we're reading this psalm, and it speaks to us because we need to lift up our eyes. It speaks to us because we need help. <laughs> So this is, this is an invitation to lift your eyes up off the screen and to not just take a quick glance, but take a long, steady, reflective gaze into the face of the divine. That's the invitation that this is. And we're given through this psalm a picture of how we're supposed to look at God. Let's read this again. As the eyes of a servant look to the hand of his master, alert to the master's commands. As the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, to the hand of the master, to the hand of the mistress. Now, there's this thing about the hand of a master, of, of a mistress, that's the hand of power and the hand of authority. It can direct, it can punish, it, can, it has the power and authority. I have personal experience with a hand of authority. My dad. Yeah. He was a big man, 6'4", and he had this massive hand. And we'd experienced, you know, the other end of that hand. And so on road trips, especially, okay, so we're driving, you know, across the country, and there's five of us. We're in the back of a station wagon. This is before seatbelts were mandatory, so we're, like, climbing all over the place, rolling, you know, if he takes a turn, boom, 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 boom. And we're driving, and, and then inevitably, and maybe you can relate to this, a fight would break out in the back. You know, like, he touched me, you know, he's on my side, whatever. And so it would escalate, and then we'd be yelling and crying, and my dad, he'd be driving, and he would go like this see this hand? That's all he would say. And we'd go, because we had been there when he pulled that car over and everyone in the back got a spanking, whether you were involved in that thing or not. And if he had to pull over the car, everyone would be punished. So we're just like, okay, we'll be good. That hand. But see, this psalm, it's looking to that hand of the master and the mistress, the hand that has power and authority, and expecting mercy expecting that hand to act on our behalf. That's the difference. Looking to the master as a servant, expecting 
that. We look to the master, to our king, as a servant would look to the master. And, and we look with dependence, with submission, and with expectation. Dependence. We acknowledge that, that he has everything we need. He is able to provide what we need. So we are humbly dependent on him. Submission, our master's will becomes what we, both our will and our work. He directs us right here, right there. So we look to this hand and with expectation, with expectation. So this is, we're not, we're expecting not punishment, but rescuing, not commanding, but giving, not dismissing, but gathering, gathering and protecting. We look to the hand of the master and that's what we expect. And he is able. He is more than able. Isaiah 59, I think it says, that the, the, the hand, arm of the Lord is not too weak that he can save you. That's the hand we look to. I've seen um, this, this it was the first time I saw it, it was a bumper sticker. And maybe you've seen it. And anytime I see it, it cracks me up. Okay, because I'm sure this is meant as an, a, a, a compliment to God. Hey, you're my co-pilot. You know, I'm in charge. You come along for the ride. <laughs> but I mean, there's such pride in this statement. And this psalm says, we look up to you, not over at, hey, like I got this, but you can come along. Not looking back, hey, I'm going here. I hope you catch up with me to God. But we look up to him. He's not our co-pilot. We're not in charge. He is. So we look up to him, and we wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. This term, waiting on the Lord, in the context of this psalm, and in general, this has two meanings. We wait on the Lord, and we wait on the Lord. Well, we wait on the Lord like, hello, I'll be your waiter this evening. What can I get you? And we wait on the Lord like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting on you. We wait on him. We serve him while we wait on him and wait on him. I, I was a waitress. How many people in this room were a waiter or a waitress in your life? Ooh, yeah, and see, I've heard it said that everyone should be a waitress at least, or a waiter, at least once in their life. By the way, you never tip the same after you've, is that right? Uh-huh. And um, you just you learn something about anticipating people's needs. I was a waitress at, um, at the time when I was a waitress. It was at a village inn. It was the most, uh, it was the busiest village inn in Colorado. It was right, uh, it was on Colorado Boulevard, right across from the Cooper Theater, which at the time was one big theater, they, not 14 different theaters, but one big screen. And every time that movie would release, whoo, we'd be slammed with people all come to the village inn. And, and, and I just... It was hard at first, but I learned, I learned to delight in anticipating people's needs. You know, being there with the check, right? Before they had to like, hey, 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 you know, try to get me down. You know, fill up their waters, you know, bring them dessert, whatever it was. I loved anticipating the needs, and that's what we do. We anticipate the Lord's needs. We have to watch to him. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I want to be there. 
Some of you know what that's like. For me, how I, how I live that out, there's so many different ways, but one of the ways I sing um, around town, and one of the places I go to sing is in nursing homes and in retirement centers. And they, um, I do this thing called room tunes, where I go and I have my guitar and I just walk around. For the people who are um, stuck in their rooms, they're bed bound, I go to them and I sing a song for them. Which, and I am an extrovert. I will, I know that you might find that surprising to hear. But, um, but I, it really actually is hard for me. Every time before I go do that, I'm in my car going, okay, Lord. Show me what you're doing. I need to know what you're doing. Because it feels kind of, you know, you kind of walk around, hi, can I sing for you? And, and sometimes people are like, no, really, go away. They just, I'm annoying. So, um, so I go in and I try to just watch what God is doing and I listen for his voice. And there's so many stories I could tell you, but this one story I would like to tell you. When I went in, and, and generally speaking, if a door is closed, you don't go in. That's kind of like someone's house. You know, you just don't walk in. And there was a door, mostly closed. It was slightly ajar. But I just had this feeling that God was saying, go in there. So I kind of, you know, snag, went, hello. And there's this woman laying in bed, wheelchair right there. She obviously doesn't get up much. And her eyes were open. And I said, could I sing you a song? She said, And I took a real chance there. I said, could I pray for you? And she just started crying. And she said, the Lord has forgotten me. My life is worthless. I mean nothing. And she just spoke of this this sense that God had abandoned her. And this thing about of God, this, this prophetic voice of God came through me, and I was able to say, the Lord has not forgotten you. He sees you, and he has a plan for you still, even now. And, and I don't even know what I said, but it was the voice of the Lord speaking encouragement to this woman, and we just sat together, and we cried, and we prayed together. That was what God was doing. I didn't I just was saying, God, show me what you're doing. And we do that to him. We say, God, what are you doing? How can I come alongside? Mothers, we do it every day in in small, seemingly mundane ways. We serve those around us. But in doing so, we serve the Lord. We wait on him. God, how can I be of service to you today? And that's our ask. And then we have to wait on the Lord. And we have to wait. And we cry out for mercy. We cry out. There's this lament um, that is, is stated. We're, we're watching. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. We have been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes from the message. The same thing. We're waiting and we're crying out for mercy because this is going on. Mercy. You know, I I think intuitively I know what that means. Mercy. I ask for mercy a lot, but I had to look up the definition. Here's the definition of mercy. Compassionate treatment of those in distress. Mm -hmm. That's us. Love that responds to human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. Unmerited. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Still, he gives his love away, his mercy. That's what we pray for, and that's what we expect to receive from him. When the proud look down on us with contempt, we look up to him, and we expect mercy. God, have mercy, because he's the only one that can take care of that. 
So we wait on him. We wait on the Lord and serve him while we wait on the Lord and wait for him to act, for his timing. And that takes humility and that takes faith because it's saying, I trust you. I'm not in control, but you are. My eyes are on you. And so waiting on serving and waiting on waiting becomes a spiritual cardio workout for us one way or the other because we have to keep our eyes on him. And we are the afflicted. We are the afflicted. Just expecting God to to act and for him to triumph over our enemies. Mercy, God have mercy. Now, in, in this day, the, the enemies, the, uh, the arrogant brutes would have been the Babylonians or the Assyrians. These are the exiles. But the antagonist, the enemy, is anyone who stands up against God and mocks, especially mocks his people. And our society today, man, there's a lot of mocking of, of the Christian faith, right? All of a sudden, Christianity has become the dartboard for society. We're just, you know, you can, you can, don't criticize Buddhism or Muslim or anything, but man, you can just nail Christianity all over the place. And it just, it just irritates me. And, and I just like, Lord, you see this? Act. And I wait on him to show mercy while I wait on him and I serve him still. So an example of this, um, of both waiting on the Lord while you're waiting on the Lord, (laughs) would be Nehemiah. Back in the day when the exiles, they, they they came back and they were trying to rebuild the city. It had been destroyed. And so Nehemiah was sent by King Darius and and he's rebuilding the wall. And there's this, this this is the enemy at work. Um, But when Sanballat and all these guys whose names you can't really say very well, it's probably why they were so mean, they heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Um, And I answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We lift our eyes up while we're doing this. His servants will start rebuilding, but you get to have no part in this, and you have no claim to it. And again, in Nehemiah 4, he says... um, Sambalat, that same guy with the bad name, heard that we were building the wall. He became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in front of everybody. And he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? I don't think so. Will they offer sacrifices? I doubt it. Will they finish in a day? No way. Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble? Mocking, mocking. And then Nehemiah just says, Our God will do this, and we're going to be about his work. While we wait on him, we're going to wait on him. And that's what we do. So in Jesus' day, the enemy, the antagonist, would have come a little close, not from the outside, but was inside the walls of the temple, right? The Pharisees, they were the proud and the arrogant, thinking they were serving God, but they were only serving themselves and looking down on God's precious people. God is the one who looks down on the despised and the poor, and the Pharisees were keeping them under their thumbs. So the enemy was within the church, but sometimes, quite honestly, the enemy is within me. It's within us. That voice, and it it comes as if it's your own voice, but it's the I statement, right? I'm such a failure. I'm so stupid. I'll never get this right. I might as well quit now because I am unqualified. And I 
I hear those voices inside of me, and it is not my voice, and it is not the voice of my God. It is the voice that comes from the pit of hell. It is Satan's voice that tries to prey on my vulnerability, on, on my brokenness, and he tries to knock me out. And I cry, mercy. God, have mercy on me. And his voice comes down and speaks love and affirmation over me. I wait on the Lord. So, um, my dad, the, the disciplinarian with the big head, hand, he was the kind of dad that, you know, when a mom says, wait till your father gets home, like, it was very effective with my dad. So, that was a big threat for us. <laughs> and um, we had, down in the basement of our house in Lakewood, we had a rec room. A tiny confession, something big happened last night when I was speaking. I have literally, this is embarrassing, all my life, because it's been called a rec room, I thought it was a W-R-E-C-K room. <laughs> I, I literally did. I thought, who would name a room a rec room like Wreck-It Ralph, you know? And so I thought, it's a rec room because you could just wreck it, and, and it was okay because it was out of sight. Honestly, until last night, I realized it's recreation room, shortened. I did not know that. But anyway, so we, <laughs> now I do. So um, I love it when a home has a rec room. Some room you can just wreck, and who cares? But anyway, I was a problem child. So we are all five kids. We're typically down in the rec room. Made sense to me, because we're wrecking it. And, and eventually a fight would break out, right? Somebody did something, and someone's getting hurt. And these cries would come down, you know, ah! we'd start crying and fussing and um, then we would because this was downstairs we'd hear this and we're like oh no dad's coming and my dad he'd open up the door and he'd hey do I need to come down there and we're like no it's okay it's okay because if he came down it really didn't matter what was going on everyone's gonna get a spanking or he was a lawyer, and he would, he would quickly discern what was going on and dish out the punishment accordingly. So we're like, it's okay, it's okay, we're good. But I'll tell you what, we cry for mercy. We cry for justice. And God heard us, and he responded in such a surprising way. Hey, do I need to come down there? And he did. And he did but not to dish out punishment, but to save us, to pursue us, to show us his mercy. He came down. He put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said. That's our God, showing us mercy when we deserve punishment, but he came to save us. So, this, we look to Jesus, the work of the cross, as we sang in these songs. It's just hard for me to keep myself together. We're singing about the rugged cross because that was Jesus, the perfect servant. Do you remember Jesus' mission statement? The son, I mean, God of the universe comes down and shows up in, in human history as a servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he served us unto death. He served us and he saved us. The suffering servant who endured the mocking, who en endured the, the ridicule. He was despised and he was rejected and yet for the joy before him endured the cross. We appeal to that God. 
and say, have mercy. And we expect it because he showed it to us in the most amazing way. He sent his son, Jesus. And he gives us hope while we wait on the Lord. And he gives us strength while we wait on the Lord. Because I have really good news for those of you who are waiting on the Lord and waiting on the Lord. He renews your strength. You will mount up on wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary, and you will walk and not faint. Now, I have prayed to the Lord, Lord, give me wings so I can just fly, or help me run away. But sometimes what he gives me is just that strength to take the next step and wait on him some more. That's our God. He gives us strength as we wait on him. So... We lift our eyes up to Jesus, as it says in Hebrews. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand, the throne of God, the throne of God, the God who sits enthroned in heaven, the God who is above us, and unlimited in the God who is with us and came to save us. We keep our eyes on him. And we trust him because he's good. God is good. Life is hard. Life is hard. And life is hard. And so, God, we keep our eyes on you. God, we keep our hearts on you, and we're listening. What are you doing? So like Samuel, we can say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Or like Isaiah, we can say, here I am, Lord. Send me. My eyes are on you. Let's pray. God, you know our enemy, and you rescue us. I just thank you that you give us the privilege of waiting on you. And even when we have to wait on you, you give us strength. So God, we keep our eyes and our hearts on you, expecting your mercy, because you are a good God. Amen.